2 Corinthians 13 verse 14. This was the opening of uh, the royal wedding yesterday. Verse 14, may the grace, well, I'll put it on the screen, thank you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion or fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Today is Pentecost Sunday and we celebrate all that that means to know that we have access to and the availability to live with the presence of the Holy Spirit, not only in us, but upon us, in us for us, but upon us to see great effect as we move out and we know that his anointing and his empowering to be those that represent the body of Christ. And this is a benediction that we're reading here from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church. And I love it because he's writing to them and they've been floundering a bit um, in their spirituality and their Christian walk. And he's writing to the church and he's bringing an encouragement to them. And I love how he starts it. He says, to the saints, to the saints who are in Corinth. He's, he's not adjusting or trying to correct them in this moment, but he's commending them for certain things. And then lovingly, he's encouraging them to be who they call to be. And that takes place when you know who you are in relationship to the grace of the Lord Jesus, to the love of God and that relationship, that communion and that fellowship that we have with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's encouraging in this moment. And he's painting this picture of um, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, uh, three and yet one. And there's so many intricacies around that, but what I love when we look at it, even as we look at this verse, this benediction, this blessing that uh, we, we're reading here, what I love to see there is there's this pouring out of glory. When we come in a moment like this and we, we're praising and we're worshiping, we're pouring out glory to God. And it's not him saying, I want you to worship me, I want you to worship me, I want you to worship me because I'm needing that. You know, if we're around people that say, I want you to um, uh, affirm me, I want you to speak positive things over me, I want you, if it's that way the whole time, that, that's not an enjoyable experience. But that's not what it's like with God. Because you see, when you glorify God, here's the beauty of it, it never really lands. And what I mean by that is you come and in this time of worship, we can glorify the Father and we can say, you are awesome, you are mighty, you are wonderful. And the Father is saying, my son, look at him, he's amazing. He's glorious. He's worth praising. He's worthy. His name is the name that's above every other name. His is the kingdom and everything in it. This is who he is. He is the head of the church. And even as glory is poured out on the Father, he pours out glory on the Son. And as we start to sing about Jesus and say, Jesus, you're amazing, he's saying, no, my father, my father is amazing. My father is a good, good father. My father is the, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, and he pours out glory upon his father. And then in the worship, we start to praise and give glory to the Holy Spirit for just the awesomeness of who he is in our lives. And he says, it's Jesus who deserves attention. It's Jesus who deserves your focus. I've come to exalt him. I've come to testify about him. I've come to point to him. I've come to uh, turn hearts towards him. And when we start to glorify, we see this. It never quite lands, but it's always being poured out one upon the other. 
That's the beauty of this relationship that we have. Glory is never meant to be taken for ourselves. It's meant to be poured out, and it's poured out amongst the God, and we get invited into this space. And it's the Holy Spirit who facilitates that and allows us to experience what this means, to have God in us and to know that we are in God and to know what that looks like lived out. And so today I want to focus on Pentecost Sunday on who the Holy Spirit is in communion, relationship, and in fellowship with us. So we're gonna spend just a few moments doing that. And here's the, the real crux of it. We've been called into this relationship. And the Holy Spirit is here in this place. Jesus was saying, it's better for you if I go. If you can think about it, if we were living 2,000 years ago and we were gathered, like we are here this morning, and Jesus walked into the room, what would happen? The atmosphere would shift. Our hearts would reposition ourselves towards him. There would be expectation. There would be an anticipation. The air would be electric. If you had an illness or if you, had, uh, if you were brokenhearted or if there was confusion about your life, if you were in a place of depression, if you were feeling hopeless, something would shift because the answer to all of those things had come into the room. And what we're celebrating here today is Jesus saying, that it's to your advantage that I go because only when I go can the Holy Spirit come and he's just like me. So we don't have to imagine 2,000 years ago what it would be like to have Jesus in the room. He's saying there's one just like me. It's as if I was there with you. It's advantageous if I go. Why? Not because I couldn't accomplish it, but there were limitations on Jesus geographically. He couldn't be with everyone all the time. But he said, if I go, I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit. He's just like me. And it means each of us can live with that closeness, that intimacy, that, um, that personable relationship with the Holy Spirit being God, just as Jesus is. And the important thing for us to know, even as Jesus says, he's just like me, is he's saying he's not just an impersonal force, He's not just a, a feeling we want to encounter on a Sunday as we come and gather. He's not a dove. He's not fire. He's not water. He's not wind. He's like all of those things. But he's much more. He is the person of the Holy Spirit. And so it's this understanding that he is here now and that his presence is in the room. And one of the things why Jesus said that, it's advantageous if I go, I loved it because Satan thought he had defeated Jesus when he took him out. But what he didn't realize is that there were 120 people in an upper room praying and that they would be anointed. They would become the first Christians, which means little anointed ones, little Christ. That's basically what the word Christian means. And 120 empowered people carrying the very life and presence that Jesus carried, the very same spirit which raised them from the dead, were heading out to change the world. And that's what we get to experience and enjoy as we know his fellowship and communion with him. And so we see that he's not only a person, but that he's God. And as much as the Father is God, and as much as Jesus is God, so is the Holy Spirit God. And the Holy Spirit was present at every major event throughout scripture, throughout history we see. We see that he was there at creation. We see that he was there in the moment of conception with Jesus. He was there when the church was birthed. We see that he was there all the way through scripture, that he was the one who authored it. It was breathed out and of him. He was the breath of God that breathed scripture. And here's the one key. I wanna just give us a couple keys. If you're taking notes, 
I'm just wanting to look at what we have in communion and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And so I'm gonna give a couple titles and scriptures so you can go and look a little bit deeper and encourage yourself in what that means to know that uh, you get to live in relationship with Him. And the first one is this, is that the Holy Spirit, He equips us. He puts gifts inside of us to do life that not only is live well, but is for the glory of God. You know, if I said to you, I want you to go and dig a hole out in the garden and I didn't give you a spade, a shovel or a pick to do it, you wouldn't be equipped to do it. But he has said, go out and advance the kingdom. Go and be light. Go and be ambassadors of my kingdom. Go and be men and women who represent me. And he has equipped us with gifts to do that which he has called us to do. He has said, go and preach the gospel. And he has equipped us with gifts and his anointing that we can see people's hearts turned and that they can encounter him even if they've come to man a rodeo bull for a youth event. We've been equipped for that. And so we see that in Hebrews 2 verse 4, it says this. I think I've got it. We can put it on the screen. It's in the Passion Translation. It says, then God added his witness to theirs. He validated their ministry. Oh, sorry, I don't have it. You're going to have to listen to me. Then God, <laughs> sorry for stressing you out, Julia. Then God added his witness to theirs. He validated their ministry with signs, astonishing wonders, all kinds of powerful miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he did this, which he distributed as he desired. It says in the commentary there in the footnote, signs, wonders, and miracles were all components of the ministry of New Testament believers. That can be a little bit intimidating because you can think that's difficult for me to do. I want to say it's more than difficult. It's impossible to live the Christian life in your own strength. It's an impossibility. You need to know the presence of God. You need to know the divine enablement and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, knowing that you've been equipped with gifts, knowing that you've been anointed so that you can live a life that is worthy of the call that we have in Him. We cannot do it in our own strength. It's the Holy Spirit who equips us to live lives like that. And then the next point I wanna bring, it's the Holy Spirit that transforms you. I wonder how many of us here today have known the transformative power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, knowing when we came to know the Lord. I, I've been a believer since I gave my life to the Lord at the age of three, so it's, it's hard to remember this process, although it's been ongoing in my life, but not a radical change, if I can call it that. But I know people who have had radical change and have known the transformation when they knew that I'm a, a new creation, I've got a new identity. But not only that they knew that, but there were things transforming in their life. They were coming out of habits and ways of thinking and ways of behaving. There was greater self-control, greater love, greater kindness, greater goodness that, they were, that was being outworked in their lives. I'm, I know there was a, a friend of mine and my father's who's um, moved from the city, he's not here anymore, but he had a radical salvation. And in that moment, he, he was coming out of a whole lot of habits and behavior patterns and thought patterns that had marked him through the years previously. And he used to have an aggressive streak. And so he would be working in his office and he would get irritated with his printer. And so he would just pick it up, throw it against his wall. He obviously is quite wealthy because this happened regularly on regular occurrences. And um, he would do, like every week something was getting smashed or broken. And he came to my dad uh, 
after walking a journey of being in the church, and he said, Ian, I thought it had all changed, but uh, this last week, I got so angry again that I just picked up my printer and I smashed it. So this isn't working. To which my dad responded to him and said, well, when was the last time you did that? And he said, well, it was probably about three to six months ago. And he said, well, transformation is happening because it's been going from weekly to months to years and the gap is getting bigger. I was chatting to someone in the coffee shop and the same sort of thing. He had got caught up in an old bad habit and he was saying, it's happened all over again. And I said, well, when was the last time it had happened? And he had walked free for a number of weeks. I said, the gaps are getting bigger. There's transformation that's taking place. And it's the Holy Spirit that comes and transforms us. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we can put this one up on the screens. And we all with unveiled face Continually seeing as in a mirror the glory of God are progressively being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to even more glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He is inside of us and he's transforming us into the image that we look at when we come to the Word. But what is, how do you feel when you come to the Word? I mean, when you come to a mirror and when you look at it, what are you looking at? You're looking at your own reflection. You're seeing yourself in that moment. And I'm not talking about that 6 a.m. when you roll out of bed and you go and you look in the mirror and you think, who is this that has stolen my body, you ugly thing standing before me? Have you experienced that moment? Well, maybe when you've gone into the airplane and you've turned on that little cubicle light and, and you, you look all ghostly. And you, it's not talking about that. It's talking about when you come to the Word of God, when you start to see who you are in your new identity, when you start to see his identity and what he says about you, when you start to realize that you are a new creation, when you start to realize that um, Christ in us, the hope of glory, that he has an inheritance of glory in us, the saints, when we start to come to the mirror of his word and when we start to look at it, there should be something that we're seeing in there that is speaking of who he has called us to be. Because when we look in a mirror, we should see that we are the glory of God on the earth. He has called us to be the glory of God on the earth. When you look in the mirror, you should see something beautiful when you come to his word and what he says of you. Something beautiful, something full of life, something shining. If you are finding yourself boring and dull and there's no life in you, you need to stop that. That is not your image. That is not who you call to be. When you come to the word, you see that you are being made in the image of God. We are being, tra being transformed back to that likeness. That's what he's working in us and he's beautiful. He's magnificent. He's worth seeing. He's glorious. When you walk and look in the mirror, when you go to the bathroom a little bit later, take a look, take a side profile and say, hey, gorgeous. No, that's not so biblical, but say, you looking glorious. Because that's, that's the truth of it. He's working that in us. And if we look at the ardor, the, the, the habits, the behaviors that are maybe on the outward side of us, we can become enslaved to those things. That's not what we look at when we come to God's word. We look at his presence. We look at his promises. We look at the principles by which we can live. We behold the glory of the Lord, which is in us, where we have unity with Jesus. And when we start to look at that, it starts to transform us and we start to reflect his glory in our actions, in our behaviors, and in the way that we do life. And we become the glory of God on the earth because we're the ones who carry him and we'd be made in his image. And there's a worldly saying that we are always moving towards our most dominant thought. You're always moving towards your most 
dominant thought. There's a scriptural basis for that. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. As you think in your heart, so you are. You're being transformed to that very thought. I love what uh, Bill Johnson said. He gave a quote that challenged me. He said this, I can't afford to have a thought about me in my head that he, meaning God, doesn't have in his head about me. I can't afford to have a thought about me in my head that he doesn't have in his head about me. Anytime I entertain things that are not absolutely true and central in his perspective about me, then I am visiting something that will war against what he thinks about me. It's a powerful quote. If you're wanting that, I can uh, give it to you later. Sorry, I don't have it on the screen. And that's, uh, that's why I love what Rich shared last way. He said, we need to repent, which means to change the way we think. We come to his word, we repent and change the way we think about who he is, about who we are, about what life lives, looks like lived out um, in the midst of his grace and glory. And then we need to start changing what we confess. And I'm not talking about positive confession. I'm talking about faithful declaration, profession, and confession, which says, I'm confessing that I am the same as who he says I am. I am confessing that he is who his word says he is. And I'm not gonna be limited or brought down to low level thinking. I'm gonna turn my focus and my attention towards that. Romans 12 verse two, uh, two says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you start to renew your mind on the promises, person, and presence of God and who you are in Him, I want to say the Holy Spirit transforms us. But not only does He transform us, here's another, uh, another aspect of what He does that I want us to see. He strengthens us. The Holy Spirit strengthens us. Ephesians 3 verse 16 I pray that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man. There's something of his strengthening that he works in us, that we are those that might be able to say, though I feel weak, I'm strong. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been feeling weak. And I want to declare to you that as you believe in Jesus and know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that not only Paul is praying that, but the Holy Spirit is outworking that, that you would be strengthened with might in your inner man, in your, in your heart, in the deepest, truest part of who you are. And you might say, but I don't feel like that. You know, I, I feel weak. I, I, I love what uh, one pastor says. He says, you can become a sanctified liar. Don't repeat me on this, we're gonna delete it from. But you can become a sanctified liar and the Bible endorses it. Here's why. It says, let the weak say I am strong. We see it in the book of Joel. Let the weak say I am strong. I don't wanna become a sanctified liar, let's shift that, but I wanna become someone who's a faithful declarer. That it's not based on my circumstance, my situation, or where my emotions might be at, but I'm basing it on, on who the character, I'm basing it on the character of God and His promises and what His Word says about me, and I'm not gonna declare my feelings because feelings shift and change. I'm gonna declare the truth and the constancy of His Word and who He declares me to be. So there's something that we move out of, and it's not positive confession, it's faith-filled declaration. And we start to declare these things. Because here's a little secret about New Testament living. We love sincerity and we love authenticity. Even one of our values here in the house is authenticity. But one of our values in the house is also risk-taking, it's faith. And we sometimes think I'm gonna be so sincere and I'm gonna downplay myself and I'm gonna be so, um, uh, 
a self-humility, as, as it were, or false humility would be a better wording, in the way that I approach God so that I can be right with Him. I want you to say He's not looking for that. The Word says He's looking for faith. He's not determining how you approach based on your sincerity. It's on your faith. He says, when I come back, will I find faith in the earth? He says that it's faith that pleases God, as we read in Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And, and faith is not just believing, but it's being something. Faith is being something. You see, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, Paul speaking to Timothy, and he's encouraging him to be something. You are called to be an apostolic leader and influence to the city. They say it was roughly probably about 100,000 he would be leading, but he was falling back into a place of timidity, being timid, being afraid, being manipulated, being intimidated. And Paul is saying to him, you cannot lead this way. You cannot live the Christian life this way. There's something that shifts when there's a faith in your heart that you cannot be intimidated because nothing can intimidate you because the one who is greater is in you. So I haven't given you a spirit of fear. You need to put that thing aside. I've given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And when you start to realize that and allow yourself to be clothed in that, there's gonna be a boldness that marks your life because the righteous, the word says, are as bold as a lion. And let me tell you, it's boldness that gives you access to the throne room of God. When we reach here, it says in Hebrews 4 verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. How do you approach the throne of grace? Come boldly that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's not saying I've got everything together. It's not saying that it's all worked out. I've got need. I'm needing grace. I'm needing His mercy. But there's something that I realize that He has done for me that I don't have to beg and cower and plead in my approach to Him, but He's done something in me and His Holy Spirit is strengthening me that I know I can come boldly to find everything I need in Him to be that who has called me to be. His throne of grace. You know what grace is? The enablement to be the person he sees when he looks at you. Yeah. We see over 365 fear knots in the Bible. One for every day of the week. Actually, the one commentary said if you read it right, there's 356, so it includes the leap year. I haven't researched it in detail myself. I'll take what that commentary said. But the Holy Spirit starts to work and he starts to bring a boldness in people's lives. He starts to outwork that. And the reason that we can have that boldness, I'm not just trying to say, just grab it out of nowhere. There's a reasoning for our boldness. And this is the reason. It says, wherever it says, fear not, most uh, normally it's followed by what statement? Because the Lord your God is with you. You can afford to be bold. You can afford to be courageous. You can afford to be confident because you know this, the promise that the Lord your God is with you. The very Holy Spirit is with you. He's strengthening you. So when you've got fear coming at you, intimidation trying to drag you down, when you've got those feelings that are trying to make you feel inferior, you need to switch on your bold knowing that the Lord is with you. That's the confidence that we have. And this is what happens when we allow the Holy Spirit to come to strengthen us, to bring forth this boldness. I want to say when you encounter the Holy Spirit, not only in your life, but upon your life, it shifts something. It looks different. People recognize it because there's, there's an audacity about your boldness. We see that here in Acts 2 verse 14. It says this, then Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Peter stood up. He raised his voice. He addressed the crowd. 
I mean, this is significant to know because this is Peter. And when we see it being Peter, this should be a compelling fact to know what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Because before the cross and the upper room experience, Peter was the one who was drowning in the water, if you remember. His faith had shifted. But now he's standing up. It was the same Peter who was hiding from the crowd and denying Jesus. But something has changed because when you are filled with God's Spirit, everything changes so you are able to do what you were not able to do before. Here's what takes place. We see that in the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost, what we are celebrating today, that the Spirit did not come so that we can remain seated. The Spirit of God did not come so that we could be complacent. The Holy Spirit came so that we can get up. He came down so we can go from natural existence to supernatural living. He came so that we can not only say, I'm okay, but we can say we are more than conquerors. That we might be those that are not only surviving, but we are those that are thriving. That we will move from making excuses to be those that are making history. That's what took place with the disciples. That we will no longer be saying, bless me, but we'll be starting to say, Lord, make me a blessing. We wouldn't be praying, answer my prayers, but we would say, Lord, let me be the answer to someone's prayers. You see, something shifts when that boldness comes that we're not only seated with anticipation, but we start to stand up because there's a revelation and there's this boldness that comes upon us that we stand up, that we start to be those that raise our voice and we start to address those things that are surrounding us because something has shifted. The Holy Spirit has come and He is not only in me, but He's upon me and He's empowering me to do powerful things. That's the beauty of Pentecost Sunday. That's the beauty of the shift that happens when we see suddenly not only 28, but 3,000 being saved in a moment in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because spiritful people do what other people cannot do. And that's why Paul is saying, he's saying, don't just be touched, don't just be caressed, don't just get motivated, don't just get excited by the Spirit. He's saying here in Ephesians 5 verse 8, you need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be overflowing with the Spirit. It's a continual, not a once-off. He's saying, allow that to take place in your life and mine. I'm not gonna go through all of these, but let me read it out if you're taking notes. He illuminates us, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10. The Holy Spirit gives us vision, Joel 2 verse 28. I do wanna pick up on this one. He anoints us, Luke 4 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. Say that with me. He has anointed me. He has anointed me. We need to know that there's something about the anointing of God that comes upon us for whatever He has called us to. It's not just relegated to a preacher behind a pulpit. But if you are a father here today, you are anointed to be a father. You know, it's the anointing that destroys the yoke. It's the anointing that means you've been smeared with the very presence and fragrance of heaven. And so I wanna say, if you're a father here today, there's no excuse if you know Jesus and know the Holy Spirit and have allowed him to fill your life. There's no excuse to downplay yourself because you are anointed to be a father. If you're a husband, you've been anointed to be a husband. It's not a place for excuses to say it's hard and I keep looking this way and that way and falling here and there, stop it. You've been anointed, you've been empowered, you've been enabled. Stop thinking low-level thoughts and start to remind yourself who you are in God, who the Holy Spirit is, and what it looks like to be a Spirit-filled and empowered believer. 
start to read through the book of Acts. You won't have time to fall into your low-level situations because you'll realize there's a kingdom mandate that I'm meant to be running with. I won't be seated in complacency, I'll stand up. I've got something to share, something to say, something to declare. I am the glory of God on the earth and it's worth being seen so that people can see it and taste and see that God is good through the fruit of my life because of the Holy Spirit and what He is doing. Come on. There's gotta be a shift. If you're a mother, you're anointed to be a mother and raise lives that are filled with the beauty and the goodness of God. If you're a business person, if you're a singer, if you're an artist, if you're an entertainer, if you are a sports person, you've been anointed for that. That's why Eric Liddell could run in the chariots of fire and says, when I run, there's something of the anointing. I sense the pleasure of God when I do that. Don't restrict it to a pulpit. We are anointed to share the good news, but we do that in and through our lives wherever we are placed because the king, the church is the gathering of the community of God. But as we go out from this place, as the church scattered, we are the advances of his kingdom, of his rule and his reign. And he gives us assignments. If we are sitting here disengaged, I wanna say you need to engage with the Holy Spirit in communion and fellowship. You need to know that you've got an assignment, that your mission, should you choose to accept it, if you've watched Mission Impossible, is that we are part of that IMF, that that impossible, Mission Impossible force, if you've seen that. That like I said before, it's impossible to live this life um, if we are not empowered by the Holy Spirit. But when we are, we see difficult, we see hard, we see impossible situations having to bow their knee as the kingdom advances to the Lord who rules and reigns. We get to be the ushering in of that. He gives us an assignment, Acts 13 verse two. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. There's assignments in God. The Holy Spirit also teaches us, John 14 verse 26. He guards us, John 16 verse 13. He prays through us and I wanna end with this point. What's the time? Yes, I wanna end with this point. The Holy Spirit is present with every believer, but he empowers us to pray effectively. If, you, um, if you're feeling, I don't know how to pray, you need to know that the Holy Spirit is coming to enable you to do so, but not only that you might pray, but that you might pray prayers that shift things, that attract the activity of heaven, and that displace the works of the enemy. We see it in Romans 8 verse 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I love that, it's the Holy Spirit who's interceding for us and in us on our behalf. I remember my dad when we lived in Toti, waking up and I think it was two between two or four in the morning, my brother had been out as he usually was in those days. and. Uh, it was a usual thing, but that precise evening, something woke my dad up. There was this sense of a groaning in his spirit to get up and pray, something working in him, that being the Holy Spirit, to call him to intercession. And so he got out of bed. He didn't know why he was praying, but he started to pray. And the outworking was my brother, who was rolling his car in that precise moment, was able to walk out of it where the police and the emergency responses were able to say, I don't know how you survived. I know how he survived. It's because 
someone allowed the Holy Spirit to be at work within him, interceding with groans, praying prayers. He didn't know what he was praying, but heaven was moving in response to that prayer in partnership with the activity, the empowerment, the direction of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit uttered those groans from within him. It might seem a little bit strange, but how many of us know that Jesus groaned in prayer as well? When that passage, we see it mentioned twice when he's praying for Lazarus to be raised from the dead. It says it in John 11, 33 to 38. When Jesus saw her weeping, that being Mary, and the Jews also weeping because Lazarus had died, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. There was Jesus. He was groaning in the spirit and he was troubled. And it says this in the commentary. That groaning in the spirit was not just of grief, but it was a groan of anger and resistance against Satan's devices in people's lives. There was something happening in him of an intercession. You see, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's interceding for us. That word interceding, it means that we're not only groaning, but we're starting to pray prayers where we stand um, before and on behalf of people and we fight on their behalf. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes as our advocate. It's like a legal battle with an adversary. He comes as our advocate as our lawyer, as the paraclete, the one who walks alongside us. He's with us and he fights our case for us. And so that's what's taking place. But the beauty of this is we start to allow him and engage with him to to work through us, this great advocate, the power of God and the person of the Holy Spirit. You'll find that you start to pray prayers that he is not only working through you, but for you powerfully. He's not only working through you, but for you powerfully. And you might pray things that you don't understand, but as I said, the heavens are shifting. You are pulling down strongholds. You're releasing the touch of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit because the kingdom of God is built by spiritual means, not practical means. The kingdom of God is built in advance by spiritual means, not by practical means. And the last point is this. He stands with us in every circumstance. The passage people often come to on Pentecost Sunday is Ezekiel 37, 1 to 10, and I'm not going to read it all, but it says this as you head into that passage, that there was these bones that they were looking at that had been the people of Israel, the people of God, and it says this, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. So you know what God says? He says, prophesy prophesy to the wind. It actually, that word wind there, it means prophesy to the ruach, to the breath of God, to the spirit of God, and say, come, breath of God, come, wind of God, come, spirit of God, and join sinew to sinew, tendon to tendon, bone to bone, bring flesh back on. Where we have felt dry, refresh us. Where we have lost our hope, give us hope. Where we have felt cut off, bring us into that communion that we have through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're here today, and maybe you've been feeling a little bit isolated, like that valley of bones. Maybe you've been feeling a little bit deadened, maybe a little bit dry. Maybe you're not living engaged with that fullness of hope. Maybe you're feeling cut off. I wanna say that the Holy Spirit is here. Even as if Jesus would have walked into the room, the Holy Spirit is here. And he is wanting to breathe his breath of life afresh over you today.